From the crossroads of America in the Hoosier state of Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now in the heartland. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO at Powder Keg, and I'll be one of your hosts for today's conversation. I'm joined in studio by co-hosts Christopher Day, CEO at Elevate Ventures, and Nate Spangle, head of community at Powder Keg. And on the show today is David Becker, CEO and chairman of First Internet Bank. David Becker is a lifelong entrepreneur, having founded five companies featured on Inc.'s list of fastest growing companies. Most recently, First Internet Bank, Rick's Software, and OneBridge. Stood up, gave a timeout sign, whistle. Said, guys, I'll solve it for you. I'm going to quit and I'll go do it myself and hopefully you'll be customers someday. David is also dedicated to building support structures for tech companies in Indiana, having served as chairman of both TechPoint and Central Indiana Community Foundation, as well as a board member of the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership. He currently serves as CEO of First Internet Bank, which he founded in 1999 and today has more than $4 billion in assets. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. Oh, the legend. Man. The legend. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. I said this before we turned the recording on, but if you if there was a Mount Rushmore of Midwest entrepreneurs, you would absolutely be on that Mount Rushmore. Yeah, we just need some mountains here. <laughs> Maybe something in Indiana Hills. <laughs> right. we, could, we could mow it into a lawn somewhere. I don't know, Tove, could we get that on the side of the J-Dub for a absolutely. rally? Absolutely. Oh, that's Mount a great Rushmore. idea. The biggest fat head of all time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah just a big sticker. Yeah, I love, I love that. I love it. David, we'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more just about your childhood, upbringing, early exposure to entrepreneurship, because I, I think a lot of our conversations, one, you've been like on bat phone, hey, can you tell me some feedback on my own entrepreneurial venture? So selfishly, a lot of the conversations have been around my own business. So I'd love to hear just about your early exposure to business and entrepreneurship when you were younger. Yeah, actually, my father would tell you I've been independent since I was eight years old, uh, <laughs> dating myself here. Back in the day, there used to be the Indianapolis Times, an afternoon newspaper. You had the Star in the Morning, Times in the Afternoon. And I got a Times newspaper route, again, dating myself. I was on a Stingray bicycle, the kind of banana seat. Awesome. Oh, those are the I'm getting a great <clears throat> mental image here. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm, so I'm running around, tooling around on that. And then I realized, hey, if I had a 10-speed bicycle, can actually drive a little faster, get a few more customers. I won national sales contests for the Times. I got to go see Washington, D.C. on a four-day bus trip, which was <laughs> interesting with a bunch of nine, 10-year-old kids <laughs> on a bus and a couple chaperones. And uh, so that was the beginning. I learned sales marketing. I had the collection routine. If I sold it, I had to collect and uh, really worked out a little budget. My dad did not get me a 10-speed bicycle. He got it for me and then charged me back on a weekly <laughs> basis. So I learned cash flow. I learned the whole game. And that was the beginning of the end. At eight years old. Eight that's years old. awesome. Yeah. I had a paper out for six years growing up, but I never had to sell anything selling the journal and courier they they sold for me i just had to get them there on time logistics <laughs> business yeah i'm curious how you sold newspapers back then how do you sell the indianapolis times was that door to door yeah literally you go door to door knock on them and say hey are you interested and most folks would at least sign up for uh, they had a trial subscription or a program where you uh, pay for three months, get three months free. So I could get about everybody to do it. Nobody wanted to tell an eight-year-old kid, nine-year-old kid, hey, you're not going to do this <laughs> when it was like two bucks or something total. But uh, And then the key was to keep them. And 
that was going back to the service part delivering on time when it was raining you had them wrapped in plastic so they didn't get a soggy paper on the front and I always took them up to the doorstep I didn't wing them into the front yard except for one house that had a very large German shepherd I (laughs) I got that close to the front door and figured that was good you don't want to risk it (laughs) I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in like the Indianapolis Times the, the meeting where they're like you know what Eight-year-olds, that's who we need to sell this <laughs> That's going to get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. So from there on, was like, this is it? Business is my game? Or were there other things that you, you were interested in exploring when you were a kid? No, actually, that was about it. Because shortly thereafter, when I was going into seventh grade, my parents moved out to the country. My dad grew up on a cattle ranch in North Dakota. My mother grew up on a tobacco farm in Kentucky. And we were living in Eagledale, just north of the Motor Speedway. And I had 60 of my closest friends within 50 feet of me, it seemed. And (laughs) they both wanted to go back to the country. So we were building a house, didn't get it done in time for us to start the school system. So we rented a house on a 100-acre farm. And uh, there, the closest neighbor was a half a mile away. And I thought I had died. I was trying to figure (laughs) out what I did to piss my parents off and why why they took me to... My life is ruined. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm done. I'll never have friends again. Uh, and there, it was the same game. I uh, got a, uh, there was Gasberg General Store, which had gas pumps out front. They sold lawnmowers, they sold saddles, they sold everything. Uh, so I kept the entrepreneurial play going, working with them, struck a deal with the owner. If he took a lawnmower in on trade and I could get it refurbished, I would get half of what it was worth when he sold it later on and did that. Then I worked with farmers and I would uh, put up hay based on the number of bales, not a per hour basis, because I knew I could out hustle most of nice. the kids. Yes. Do the other games. So yeah, it's just been kind of ingrained all the way through. Pun intended. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Toph and I both have uh, backgrounds in farming. I didn't know about the North Dakota roots. My mom grew up on a cattle farm in North Dakota and uh, my grandfather kind of uh, founded that farm, I don't know, 100 plus years ago. Or my great grandfather founded that farm 100 plus years ago. Are, are there elements of farming that you think uh, you learned through your uh, family? that you use today in business? Oh, without question. The farming plate, my grandfather did the same thing. They were down in the Badlands of North Dakota, actually right almost on the side of the Teddy Roosevelt National Park today. And um, he went out with my grandmother during the Depression in a Model T pickup truck with two cows in the back. And uh, (laughs) Ted's last roundup, and they literally would go cross-country from North Dakota down to Kansas to take him to market. And chuck wagon and that whole routine, he had 840 cows. That's his last run to market. And then they moved back to Wisconsin outside of Sheboygan, where most of my dad's family's from. And the play there, he started raising chickens for eggs. And he wound up making his own feed and mixing the grain or whatever. And the quality of the eggs was so good that the restaurants in Chicago would send up trucks two times a week to pick up eggs directly from him instead of sending them into the market. So yeah, my grandfather set the stage. My dad grew up out in North Dakota, my, he was one of eight children to run the farm. My mother was one of 14 children to run the tobacco farm. And the play, in fact, part of my drive and focus, I was the first one in my family on either side. And I think I counted it up one time. I've got over 100 cousins <laughs> to actually make it to college. And part of that was my mom wanted to go to college. She actually graduated valedictorian of the little school she went to in Jamestown, Kentucky. But my grandfather said, now, no daughter of mine's going to go to college. You have children and you have a family and you take care of the house. You don't need a college education to do that. So Different times. Yeah, totally different times. And she's the one that planted this seed in me that if you get an opportunity, you got to go to college. So, and the, and the whole play, and I was actually telling somebody the story this morning when I was at the PAW, I had a chance to 
have lunch with Ross Perot, the founder of EDS. Wow. And I believed at the time and still believe today that the, your biggest success is business is the people that you're able to get to work for you. And I asked Ross, I said, what's your secret? I said, you have a phenomenal company and literally your number one asset is people. How do you get good quality people? He said, nobody's really asked me that, but I went back had head of HR go and find out what are the characteristics in the top 10 performers we have in the company today, the up and coming ranks, what common characteristics they have. Eight out of 10 grew up on dairy farms in the Midwest. Mm, you think about it, cows get milk twice yeah. a day, 365 yeah. days a year. If you're sick, if the weather's bad, whatever it is, you just figure out how to get it done. Mm-hmm. So he actually added a line to the bottom of the application process at EDS. Said, by chance, did you grow up on a dairy oh, farm in the wow. Midwest? And you checked yes, you immediately went to the top of the heap. And I think that part of it, just their work ethic and the desire that you relied upon yourself to get things done. And I think that suited me well in getting the companies off the ground in the early stages. So when you, when you went to DePaul, how'd you pick DePaul? And when you went there, were you thinking all along that this is my go to college and I'm going to go get a job, corporate executive route? Or were you thinking, I'm going to go learn, build relationships and figure out what I want to start out of school? And then what'd you do after school? I wound up at DePaul kind of by accident. My parents didn't have the financial wherewithal to send me to college. So the only school that I could apply to that I thought of at the time that I could get in without a congressional appointment was the Coast Guard Academy. If you go to any of the other military academies, you have to have a letter from the senator, whoever in your state. Coast Guard Academy started with 10,200 applications, 10,400 applications, something like that. But they whittled it down during my senior year in school from one of 10,000 to they actually accepted 420. Oh. And I made the cut. FBI came out, interviewed my neighbors and stuff. It freaked out everybody. Like, <laughs> Indiana. First when, time that had happened yeah, in your neighborhood. When, when the feds are running around, unless you were moonshining or hustling right, drugs, right. there's no reason for the feds to Did be Did they have town. black coats and sunglasses? Oh, black coats and <laughs> sunglasses, dark cars, <laughs> black awesome. wall tires. It was yeah. the, the whole game. That's yeah. quite a scene. So I got through that process, and I was literally going to go, supposed to go into July 4th. And one of the things that attracted me to the Coast Guard Academy they still today have a three-masted schooner. You go to New London, Connecticut, jump on that boat. You go south as far as they can get and come back. So you're back at Labor Day to start classes. And I thought, man, what a hell of a way to learn about sailing and the ocean and whatever. And I've always loved the ocean and water. But it was 1971 and the Vietnam War was going on. And about six weeks before I went to say I do, I decided I can't do this. Somebody's going to tell me, to scrub a floor with a toothbrush, I'm going to tell them where to put the toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wind up in Vietnam. Help them get it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So I went to my high school guidance counselor, and, and she goes, you've missed all the cutoff dates. This is like mid-May. And I said, I understand that, but I, I need to do something even if I have to set out of here. So she goes, my husband went to DePaul. Let's go over and talk to him. And from Monrovia, it's only about a 30-minute drive, 40-minute drive. So I went in, and lo and behold, spent an afternoon with admissions, toured the campus. Next day, I got a full-ride scholarship from them. Hey, so, yo. Uh, worked out awesome and made it through the four-year program. I went in, really honestly, thought I was going to go to law school. I've had a lot of pivots in my life. The uh, saying no to the Coast Guard Academy, which is the first time my father, and probably about the only time I ever <laughs> dropped an F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> my God, what the F is wrong with you? Because I don't have the money. This is a free ride. You can't do that. Then I pivoted and went to DePaul University. I was going to go to law school about two weeks before I 
was supposed to uh, graduate, I decided, nah, I really don't want to do that either. <laughs> so I hooked up with a headhunter in Indianapolis. Long story short, uh, I got a job with General Electric Credit Corporation during the days of Jack Welch. I was running the show in the credit side at that point in time, and it was phenomenal. I still today say that was my working MBA. Yep. They spent a ton of money on education, and I was in the management trainee program. Only worked with them for about three and a half years, but I was at a position where the average seniority was over 20 years, and I hit that corporate wall. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. And I did have the reputation. I did a couple things that blew up GE. Uh, one, I asked, <laughs> in a public forum, I asked Jack Welch a question, and I survived. <laughs> yeah. What was the question? I can't, to this day, I can't remember what it was, but he made a presentation about where the credit corporation was going. We are up in Chicago. I put my hand up in the air. My boss is trying to pull my hand down. <laughs> he said, you don't ask Jack a question. It's Neutron Jack. He comes to town. The buildings stay and the people disappear. Yeah. And uh, he said, young man back there, you got a question? And I said, yes, sir, I do. Stood up, got a microphone, asked him the question. He answered it. And then there was deathly silence. Nobody else asked a question. <laughs> he goes, okay, let me give you a couple closing remarks. And he finished up. And then he goes, young man in the back, would you please walk up to the stage? I'd like, like to talk to you for a minute. My boss says, oh, God, he's going to fire you. <laughs> I'll get you back to Indianapolis. From there, you're on your own. Went up, asked the question, and, and introduced myself. He said, hey, i got to tell you, I've done this show in six different cities. You're the first person that, pardon the French, had the balls to ask me a question. And it was a damn good question. So I just want to shake hands and say thank you. Uh, I really Thanks. appreciate it. And so that was the play. That's, that's a good lesson there. Of, oh, tremendous lesson. Yeah. Just go for it. Yeah, go for it. you got nothing to lose. I'm, I was 22 years old and he wanted to fire me, so be it. Yeah. And, then, and if he did, you wouldn't. You shouldn't be there anyway. Shouldn't be right? there to begin with, yeah, yeah. If over something like that. Yeah. If I asked a really inane or stupid question or called him an asshole or something, I guess <laughs> reason to fire me, but I was being pretty nice. And then I tried to get another position. I wanted to do something else. And I found out after the force was over that my boss was holding me back because my numbers enabled him to get the best moments he'd ever had in his career. And he was only a couple of years <laughs> away from retirement. So I learned a big corporate lesson there as well. Yeah. So I got the uh, exit interview from the HR department down in Cincinnati that covered our area. And when I got the questionnaire, it was like four pages. And I wrote across the front page in big letters, if I thought you really cared, I'd fill this out. <laughs> and Buck Buchanan, who was the regional director for HR in Cincinnati, tracked me down. He said, Dave, I've been doing this job for 30 years, and that's the best answer I've ever seen on this form. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he said, I will tell you, you your file was, had four stars, which meant they thought you could go to general office. And he said, when I sent this response of yours up to general office, they want me to try and recruit you back. <laughs> and they, too, felt it was probably the best answer they'd ever seen. I said, it's too late, my man. I've made a commitment. And, yeah. Uh, I'm moving on. But what's interesting to me when I hear about your early stories of like early career Dave Becker is you really trusted. It seems like you really trusted yourself. Yeah. Almost went to Vietnam last minute. Now this doesn't feel right. Let's figure out a different plan. Almost went to the Naval Academy. Oh, it doesn't quite feel right. Let's yeah. almost went into law school, but no, maybe not quite right. And whether or not that always happened right, right before the actual decision went through, at the end of the day, you I think part of it goes back to my grandfather and, and sitting and talking with him. I wrote business plans for years about everything from car washes to uh, convenience stores, service stations, laundry mats, you name it. I had all these crazy ideas. And when I actually came up with the idea of the RDS, or remember data, the first services company I built, I outlined it to my grandfather and he said, hey, this makes a lot of sense. 
you said you know the industry, you know the play, you can hire the people that can do the program. And I was a political science uh, major. I Still to this day, I'll give my kids the iPhone to f- uh, fix for me. <laughs> get a new one. And uh, I didn't have the technical chops, but I understood the industry and the play. And the, the piece of advice that he gave me, which has stuck with me, and uh, technically I was doing it before he gave it to me, is no matter what happens, they can't eat you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You as an individual will always survive. So have confidence in yourself. Whatever happens, you're going to make it, and you'll get over the finish line one way or another. He said, and by the way, you're young enough, you could file bankruptcy four or five times. You still <laughs> survive, so go for it. And uh, I think, yeah, it, it's just extreme. My brother and sister both say, how in the hell did you get all the self-confidence? And we didn't have it. And I think part of it, I was the oldest child, so I was the one that was pushed mm-hmm. to get out and do it. My life got blown up when I was nine, ten years old, and I had to get land on my feet and figure that out And in a countryside where my uh, mode of transportation was either the two feet or a bicycle when there's... <laughs> Many times I was doing stuff at school and I'd screw around and miss the bus and <laughs> I had a three and a half mile walk home. So unless I that's could a lesson a you don't forget. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it seems like you had like not seems you've had a lot of early professional career like success. So what are a couple tips to that 22 year old that's getting that working MBA? What would you say to that person? Absorb everything that you can learn from everything you the mistakes you make or the things you can learn if you're ever offered an opportunity, which G was phenomenal at. They taught me, I took an accounting 101 class at school, and I would tell anybody still in college to get, before you get out, take an accounting 101. Mm. You need to understand an income and expense statement. You need to understand how that relates to a balance sheet just to take care of your personal finance, let alone what you might do in the business community, but absorb absolutely everything you can. And as I tell people and talk to the Orr Fellows group religiously over the years that if it's a job and you don't like what you're doing, change because mm-hmm. life is way too short. Even though I've been playing around for 50 years out here, you've got to enjoy what you're doing and you'll find it. And just again, confidence in yourself, absorb all the information you can get. And if it doesn't feel right, move on. I love that. And on the opposite side of the coin for let's say the CEO that wants to do better at attracting and retaining young talent, what would you tell them? Give them the rope. My management mantra is I'll give you all the rope you want. You can swing or you can hang. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Yeah. And particularly this generation coming out of school today, they want to do things. They want to be involved. They want to be engaged. And if you micromanage them or give them just menial tasks, they're going to get bored to tears. They're going to move on in a heartbeat. So you hired them for a reason. Let them go do it. And if they succeed, and I, I tell everybody in the organization, if you don't make mistakes, you're not on far not out on the edge and doing what you should be doing. The only time you'll get fired around here for making a mistake is you keep repeating it. That's right. That, that doesn't fly. Uh, you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. That doesn't play. But you're here for a reason, and there are no sacred cows in any of the companies I've built over the last 40 years. Everything's up for grabs. In fact, we have a group of summer interns in a couple of weeks here they're going to make their final presentation to the senior management team at the bank. And what they're charged with the day they come in is find something, even as an intern, find something in the organization you would change. Whether it's in the area you're working in, if it's something you think that the bank should do differently. And it's phenomenal. We get anywhere from 12 to 15 interns a year. We'll come away with six or seven just phenomenal ideas because they have no blinders on. It's all new experience to them. They haven't been beat up by society or the mm-hmm. business world. So it's fresh, great ideas, and it works fabulously. I, 
had to convince my team that this really is viable and valuable. Uh, but once we got over that hurdle, it's worked out phenomenal. Are you ready to transform your brand with award-winning video content that captures your vision and connects with your audience? Check out Alchemy, the experts at building your brand using video. From story-driven social media snippets that leave a lasting impression to compelling full-length documentaries, they have got the expertise to take your brand to the next level. Alchemy is actually our video partner here on Get In, and they do amazing work. All of the videos across social, uh, across YouTube, all that is done by Alchemy, and, and they're an amazing partner to work with. Reach out to me, Nate, at Powderkeg, or check out alchemyfilmco.com to get connected with Alden and his team. They will take care of all of your video needs. How did you come up with your first idea for your first tech company? Maybe not your first idea, but how did you come up with the idea for your first tech company? I was forced into it. I was a consultant with the Indiana Credit Union League. And uh, I had, uh, she's long passed away, so this is okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I did a consulting gig for the uh, University of Notre Dame Credit Union, and Ruth Kelly was the CEO. And I said, hey, guys, uh, right now everything's running really smooth, but everything looks like we're going to go into an economic downturn. This is back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, when rates were starting to blow up like we're doing today. And I said, you need to look at this, boom, boom. And so I, get, I drove back from South Bend, got home about 1 a.m. I had to go to Southern Indiana down in Evansville the next day. So I'm in the office at 5 a.m. And the CEO had already left a note on my desk, Dave, see me before you go to Evansville. And what I do is <laughs> I walk in. He goes, I got a call from Ruth Kelly about 11 o'clock last night. You understand she's chairman of the board. And you were saying some things that weren't really great about her institution. I said, Mort, I was just forecasting what's coming. And I said, if they didn't get control of delinquency, they have customers all over the world. There's just some things fundamentally, they just trusted everybody. And I said, I live in the world of trust but verify. And there were some things she needs to do or she could have a real problem if the economy goes south. He goes, tell you what, next time before you do something like that, let me know ahead of time. So I softened it a little bit going in. And he said, a lot of what you talked about was computer services, that they were very archaic and they weren't automating things that they should be. He said, do you have an alternative? I said, no. At that point in time, it was Merchants Bank. The original Frog Bank here in Indianapolis was the primary provider in the state. And I said, their product, they're selling banking products to a group that has a lot more flexibility and power. I said, they, they really don't work. And he said, again, you keep saying bad things about them, but they pay part of your paycheck because through our <laughs> services corp, we get, oh, I said, the kickback. He goes, no, it's not a kickback. It's a service fee for backing up their services. He, so he told me, you got six months, either find an alternative or start saying good things. I said, okay, I'll find an alternative. So literally over the next six months, I continued to do the day job, but I kept searching for an alternative. Long story short, found a, software product in Grand Rapids, wrote a business plan with the idea that the services corp would start their own data center and we'd sell product to credit units around the state. Made a two-hour presentation to the board of directors. They spent 45 minutes not discussing whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, what committee should do it, and is this EFT, is this services course, whatever. So literally, another one of those turning points in my life, I <laughs> stood up, gave a timeout sign, whistled, I said, guys, I'll solve it for you. I'm going to quit and I'll go do it myself and hopefully you'll be customers someday. So I literally walked out of the boardroom, went and cleaned out my desk, went home, called the guy in Michigan. I said, hey, meeting didn't go quite <laughs> like I thought it was going to. So instead of buying the software, what's the chance of you selling to me wholesale, let me retail? He didn't want to go outside of the state of Michigan. And he said, we can do that. 
And I, he goes, when do you want to get together? Looked at my watch and I said, oh, I'll meet you. Gave him a restaurant in Grand Rapids. I'll meet you there for dinner at 6.30. He said, tonight? I said, yeah, tonight. So went up 6.30, did a handshake deal, literally drove back to Indianapolis and left up there about midnight. Went to my attorney's office at Keystone of the Crossing. Literally got in the building, uh, sat down in front of the door, went to sleep, passed out. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they came in the morning and they go, hey, what's going on? What are you doing here in the hallway? I said, I had a long night. I had to go to Grand Rapids, yada, yada. And we didn't get the thing worked out like we thought at the league. So I need to start a company today and get off the ground. That was it. That was the start of RDS on April 8th, 1981. You really burned the ships on yeah. that one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> totally. Actually, the head of the services corp on the way out the front door, he goes, Dave. He said, man, I don't understand what in the world you're doing. He said, you've got such a reputation, not only in Indiana, but in the Midwest. You could coast for 30 years and nobody's going to touch you. I said, no, I don't coast. That's not the life I want to lead. I said, I want to do things. He goes, when it doesn't work out, call me up. I'll get your old job back. And that was the best motivator I could have had in yeah. the world. And I, I said, Dan, that's not going to happen. But we'll see you someday. So, Do you think entrepreneurs need to burn the ships in order to be successful? I would say sometimes. I would... I tell people, particularly with relationships with other individuals, like with Dan, I didn't burn that relationship because invariably in life, people will recycle probably more so than the business side of it. But when you know the, and, and even with the trade association, the folks in that room that day, 20 out of 24 wound up being customers of mine through my services organization. So I, I made a tremendous change. I didn't blame it on them. I blamed it on me and said that, hey, you're a, pretty stoic institution in a lot of respects and you don't have the flexibility that I would as an individual to get this off the ground. So it's probably better for me to go do it. And at the end, it worked out. In fact, Mort actually, who was the CEO of the credit union league at the time, became a phenomenal supporter of mine, opened a lot of doors for me and it worked out really well. So and the, the first advertising piece we got put together on the front cover was why did somebody who really understood credit unions started a computer company? And that was a whole play. I knew what needed to go in one side, come out the other. What went on in between, I had no idea. But I was able to hire great people that could make a dance across the table if I wanted it to. That's a, that's a great advertisement. And I, I was thinking about what you were saying, and it's almost burn the ships in your career, but don't burn the bridges to the relationships. Very yeah, it is, it is amazing how every five or 10 years, these relationships come full circle that you never even imagined. Yeah, we're a great example of that. You, right. you spoke at one of our first Verge events back when yeah. it was Verge, I don't know, 13 years ago. You probably did too, Dave. I, I yeah, mean, out on Kessler Boulevard, that old funky oh, that house. Was when you, crazy. You that the Kessler mansion yeah, with the dolphin. Oh, the dolphin found crazy stuff out front. We had like both mayoral candidates there. Yeah. That was an awesome talk. I think we have yeah. that one recorded, actually. <laughs> so we have to dig that one up for them from the archives. What I, what I think is interesting about these stories is, so the name of this podcast is Get In. And the whole concept is like two things. It's, number one, it's just don't be afraid to just jump in, right? right? Don't be afraid to ask the question in front of Jack Welch, right? Because all right. those folks, they're looking for the brightest minds, right? Yeah. And, and if those leaders aren't, then that's back to you. That's a place you probably don't want to be, right? If you mm -hmm. want to enjoy creative things. We talk about gut feel, right? Yeah. Which is a really physiological thing. It's, and we talk about pivot. I just think about all these things. I think a lot of people, maybe talk about fear. How I think a lot of people whether it relates to entrepreneurship or people in their career path, there's fear of failure. There's fear. I'm going to get fired. There's 
fear that my peers or friends are going to think I'm crazy because I want to go take this other job or join this startup or whatever. Talk about how you think about that. How do people overcome their fear and jump in with two feet, full passion, whatever it might be at their journey in life? Part of my play, obviously, the college shuffle and some of the stuff I did early on was there was no point of no return. But when I started my first company, I tell most people when you want to start a company, figure it out while you're still working. Really hone in on the business plan. I talked to credit unions all over the state of Indiana. I had 28, 28 institutions I'm going to go talk to. Within two years, I had 24 of those as customers once I actually started. So I built a lot of the framework. I'd work 20 hours a day, seven days a week to get it put together. Everybody thinks an entrepreneur has to jump off a cliff to, to make a run. I jump off a cliff, but I have a parachute Yep, and mm-hmm. I have a, a backdrop. So I was pretty damn confident that I could get it done. Worst case scenario, I knew I could get my old job back if I wanted to. But more importantly, I could go to the guy in Michigan and go to work for him and cut a deal with him to either increase his business in Michigan or take the business outside of the state of Michigan for him. I had two or three escape valves. And I think most real entrepreneurs that are successful have the ability to do that. A lot of folks will, um, we see it, we do a lot of franchise financing at the bank nowadays. And you get a lot of people that think, oh, I can go get a Jimmy John's franchise. That's no problem whatsoever. Well, slinging and doing sandwiches all day is a pain in the ass. (laughs) It's uh, not a life that most people really want to live. It it can be a very phenomenally successful and very financially rewarding franchise. But if that's what you want to do or you have an interest in the area, I think I tell everybody, go work in that space. Yep. Quit whatever you're doing, and you want to be in a restaurant, if you want to be a manufacturer, you want to do whatever. Go to work for somebody in that space. And instead of <laughs> seeing an awful lot of people, and I know you've seen this, Tofu, over the years, that have business plans that are solutions looking for a problem. Yeah, 100%. And mm-hmm. until find the problem and then create the solution. And you're guaranteed every time. If you just dream up this crazy idea and you go try and find a, a customer or a problem to solve with it, you're not going to get anywhere. So do it from the other side. Do your research and do your homework. Know what you're doing. Enjoy, hopefully, what you're getting into. But have a safety net, some plan B in case plan A doesn't work. So how, how did so your first business, So did, what, what happened? Did you, did you sell it? Did, that, did you merge it back with the other company? And then how did you move on to your? No, I started RDS in uh, 1981, sold it in 2004, spinning out of that. Uh, again, the... Uh, the banker told me when I came up with the idea of Wi-Fi and doing the online integration and presenting banking services over the internet, I went to, at the time it was Indiana National Bank, and said, hey, I got this idea I'd like to do. And they said, hey, your, your business is running really well. We think that would be bad for you. You should not do that. So I went to another bank and borrowed <laughs> the money I needed for the equipment, got it off the ground, and it went absolutely bonkers. And uh, uh, that was 1996, sold it in 2001, and we were 20 million in revenue, over 200 employees, and just going through the moon. Most of mine have been longer-term businesses. I owned Ricks for almost 20 years. I owned Dino for 20 years. I now had the bank. We're coming up on our 25th anniversary next February. I'm good at, I guess, multitasking. When <laughs> I would, in the olden days, when I'd sell a company, I'd start two new ones. Uh, my <laughs> wife has convinced me I'm, I'm too old for that stuff now. But. but Really go in with the idea that this is a long-term shot. It's not to people that go in thinking, I'm going to make a, a, a million dollars and be out of this in 18 months. It, it burns up mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. You, you really need to have that solid foundation. It might be a lifestyle business. It could be a Wi-Fi that's a home run hit. 
way beyond uh, what I thought it ever would be. When I started RDS in 81, I thought if I ever got to a million years, a million dollars a year in sales, that would just be off the charts. I did that in nine months. Holy. And it just went crazy from there. And when I sold RDS, it was uh, 15 million a year in revenue. Uh, Vi-Fi was at 20 on its way to 40. One bridge, you name it, Rick's. When we got rid of Rick's, we were doing about 9 million in sales with a $4 million bottom line. That's amazing. Wow. wow. Wait, a, you had a bottom line at a tech company? That's the other play. All of my software companies, actually, when I launched the bank, I worked with Robbie Stevens or Robertson Stevens out of California to raise money for the bank. And he took a look at Wi-Fi and he said, my God, he said, you need to go lose money. He said, you're making money and I have to value like a traditional business. He said, if you were losing money, I could get you a hundred million dollars overnight. And I said, I just, <laughs> that's just against my game. We'll make money and we'll grow it the old fashioned way a little bit at a time. And thankfully I didn't because the dot-com bubble burst in mm-hmm. 2000 and I'd have been out to dry. It would have just uh, imploded on me. So yeah, that's the focus is make money and reinvest that money. In fact, the first partner I brought on first year I was in RDS, we got to the end of the year. He said, I own 10%. I want 10% of the profits. Thankfully, I did a buy-sell agreement before we started. I said, Bill, we got to reinvest this in the company. He goes, no, nah, I, w- I want my 10%. I said, okay, here's your 10% and I'm going to buy you out. Just, this isn't going to work because we need to keep the capital in the company. When I sold it 23 years later, he goes, my 10% would have been worth about 3 million bucks. <laughs> I said, yeah. Quick break from our normal programming. I have Erica Schweier, COO from Elevate Ventures here in the studio today. Erica, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're going to tell us a little bit about this Rally Innovation Conference that's coming up. Yep. So it's the largest cross-sector innovation conference in the world. We're going to feature six innovation studios. So think hard tech, software, sports tech, ag and food, healthcare, and entrepreneurship is going to be our catch-all. I love that. So tell me what is, who's it for? Yeah, it's for innovators, entrepreneurs, investors. Honestly, anybody probably listening to this podcast. And it's going to be a multi-day thing that's happening in downtown Indianapolis. Yep. People coming in from all over the country and maybe even all over the world to be here. That's our hope. Yep. And the dates are actually August 29th through the 31st. Perfect. And if people want to find out more information about speakers, tickets, things like that, where can they go? Yeah. So they just go to rallyinnovation.com and sign up for communications. They can also get their tickets. I love it. You heard it here. Rallyinnovation.com. We'll see, we'll see you, you there. A little short-sighted, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so you talk about all these amazing successes up into the right growth, but what, what are some of the hardest parts of growing the business over your 50-year career, your, what, 40 years of entrepreneurship that maybe people don't talk about when it comes to entrepreneurship? Well, the bottom line play, any good entrepreneurs had failures in their life, either in products and services and businesses. Uh, years ago, I did a uh, bar, restaurant with L. Scott's over at 56 in Emerson with Danny O'Malley and uh, Larry Wechter, two good friends uh, here in the city. It, w- it went crazy for six months, hired the wrong manager, and blew up in three months. And uh, everybody's got failures out there in, in the play. And you hit obstacles. There were times, and again, as Toph just said, we were SaaS businesses. It was all software. I had no hard assets. Bankers had no idea how in the hell to finance or why would they loan me money because I, they have no security. If I go away, they're holding the bag. There's nothing there. Airball is the term in the banking yeah. world. There's nothing out there. And there were a lot of times we missed really good opportunities because they just had no means to pull the cash together. But rather than give up equity, because back then I saw a lot of folks in the VC world that 
uh, Cricket Speakers was here in Indianapolis back when the uh, CB craze was going nuts in the 70s, early 80s. And they went from nothing overnight to a multi-million dollar company. Had a VC come in. The first time they missed their sales objective, they took the company away from the owner and it was done. He was out of the business in uh, 90 days. I had secondhand experience of watching people that took money to really grow things that the first time they didn't meet a goal or a target, they were pretty much on the street. So how, how did, so on that meet, how did you overcome? So when you started first internet bank, you, you went around the same thing, right? You started talking to people and you heard no a lot and nobody's ever going to go online for their banking. So talk about that. How'd you overcome being told no, however many times and what was the, and you did your own research, right? Your own market right. research. Maybe talk about that experience about launching first internet. Yeah, the kicker in the beginning, I, I launched in April, and I actually converted our first customer in May. I knew Link Federal Credit Union, Bill Kirby, was a good friend of mine over on the west side of Indianapolis, and he understood what technology could do for him. He had a plant in Tennessee, he had the plant here in town, and I think there's one in North Carolina. It was really hard for him to service them remotely, and he didn't have enough size to put a branch at each of those three locations. So I showed him with tech how they could do it online, they could get access to some of the things and just totally convinced him that if he took a chance on me, that I'd make him a hometown hero and really get his business up to the next level. And I did it all betting on the com. I didn't charge him anything up front. I said, you run it for 90 days. If you like what it's doing, then you can pay me. And he did it and jumped in. He ultimately, when I bought my first mainframe computer that probably has less power than my iPhone for <laughs> half a million dollars, he financed it for me. And he so much believed in the company and play. And then I leveraged him to sell one of his friends. And I went back. I'd consulted with credit unions all over the state for two or three years. So I had really good business relationships. In fact, the Solidarity Credit Union up in Kokomo, the, I made the presentation when it came time to discuss it. The CEO says, Dave and I are going to go out in the hallway. And the president says, what do you mean you're going to go in the hallway? He goes, I, I know this guy too well. Uh, more importantly, he knows more about the credit union than I do. I don't want to be a part of that conversation. He said, I need to get out of here and I'll go with him. But I would tell you, if it were my decision, I'd hire him now. And so it was, again, that groundwork that I'd laid over two or three years and the reputation I had with the folks. And like I say, they didn't know and I didn't really know all the mechanics of the computer, but I knew the product I could get out the other side would be beneficial to them and give them the tools they really needed to grow. So. Seems to me, David, starting your career on a Stingray bicycle, I know you're a motorcycle fan now. You like forward motion. Both of those vehicles, they move forward. And I'm, I'm curious, it, when you think about like motorcycles and think about business, are there any similarities there? Oh, without question. One of my uh, mantras that I tell my people all the time is uh, the best defense is a good offense. And I'd rather grow myself out of a problem than cut myself out of a problem, without question. And it's the same thing, just the experience of the motorcycles or the bicycles and anything. I've, I've driven convertibles for 50 years. I just I want the wind in my hair when I had hair. <laughs> after five children, it's all gone today. Uh, but, yeah, it's just that experience of the exhilaration. And, and you, when you think about riding a motorcycle, a bicycle, or even a convertible, you, your senses are so much more alive and active. If you're running down a country road and you smell the hay or you smell the barn or the the cows or whatever it just it changes your whole impression of what you're doing it's not just a car ride mm -hmm. it's an experience and that's how i've run my life and i love speed i would have given anything my <laughs> i was asked by a, a recruiter at college what would your dream job be and i said i would 
race sports cars on the weekend, and I do photojournalism as I went site to site. And it's, it's a combination of both the, the business and the competitive side, but also a little bit of the art and the the, uh, the picture side of things. And I still play around with cameras today. And you would, um, Dave, you would have thre- you would have uh, really found your niche in the Instagram influencer economy. Yeah, days. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the the car sports car racing page. I can see yeah. you uh, right now. Yes, uh, still could. I, I I'd subscribe to your TikTok channel. Yes, I love that. Over all these successes you've had, five amazing companies that have grown really fast, you have chosen to headquarter all of them in Indiana. And I think that's very commendable. I love Indiana. We all, the podcast is called Get In. (laughs) Well, what do you think Indiana's key differentiator is for growing high tech companies? When I launched First Internet Bank, we actually did that in New York City and John D. Rockefeller's old offices on Wall Street. We were looking out the window at the bull and Actually, a lady from the BBC asked me, why Indiana, of all places? You've got the East Coast and the West Coast. That's the tech community of the, the, the U.S. Why aren't you there? And I said, back to the play, why I stayed in Indiana and why I do. And I said, in some respects, we're viewed as a conservative state. So to be the first online institution, that bought us some credibility that we're Midwest. We're not high flyers on the coast. We're leading edge, not bleeding edge. And I said, more importantly, my number one resource is people and the quality of people I can get out of the Midwest. We have phenomenal universities in play is so much better at a much better price point than I can do on either coast. That, and the work ethic, quite honestly, is considerably better. I said, if we want an ocean and we want mountains, two hours on a plane and you got it. And I said that my number one resource in getting the company, the success of the company is people. And I have a much better pool in the Midwest than any place else. Amen. It's a great, great point. And we spoke, you spoke on a panel that I was moderating a a couple months ago, specifically talking about 68 Capital and some of the investments that you've made in the ecosystem. Do you mind talking a little bit about that and how you think about now that all of your business successes built this amazing snowball, how you're thinking about continuing that legacy through how you're investing? Yeah, like you say, Kelly Jones in 68 Capital is phenomenal. She's reaching a very untouched market that doesn't have a lot of resources. And I would argue in Indiana today versus what it was 40 years ago when I started, there are tremendous services and programs and and organizations to help out. And I would also argue that there's venture capital if you have a good, solid idea. Go back to TOEF and Elevate Ventures. And there's tools here today that didn't exist Almost every university has some kind of a fund to help folks get things off the ground. So if you've got a good idea, I'm a heavy investor in all four of the Allos funds over the years. I've been 68 Capital. I've done probably 20 direct investments in companies around the Midwest here over the years. I'm slowing down, as I said earlier, about to be 70 years old. I'm not worried about buying green bananas, but I'm also probably have a little shorter time frame and objective than I've had in the past. But I'm still doing a lot of fun things. I'm doing some stuff in real estate. I'm in Ambrose's fund. I'm in the Nickel Plate Hotel that's going up next to the uh, bank in Fishers. I'm a, a big part of that. I'm doing a lot of still innovative, creative things within the bank. I bought a small division three and a half years ago of a bank out of Colorado that had an office in Chicago doing SBA lending. Today, we're the 10th largest SBA lender in the United States. So we go. went from ground zero to we'll do 300 million probably in originations this year. I hope it's okay um, to mention, but you were the fastest growing NASDAQ stock for a couple, yes, yeah, one, two, three yeah, years. Yeah in, the, yeah, in the early stages. And we're getting beat up a little bit right now. The 
again, a new venture we're in is banking as a service. And I didn't get in the first wave for a lot of reasons. And part of that was quite honestly, my tech background, I knew there was going to be a lot of flame outs and a lot of issues. And it reminded me of uh, the conversation I had years and years ago with Scott Jones. It's all about eyeballs and you got to get customers and it's all about customers. Well, I remember those days. Yeah. (laughs) And so now the fintech space, it's the same thing. They've all been chasing customers, which is great, but they're all losing massive amounts of money. Now that we're in some tough economic times, everybody's saying, hey, if you need a CD round, let's show your path to profitability. Well, what's that? How are we going to get there? So we're coming in in what I call FinTech 2.0, and we've got some really good companies doing really good things. We'll make a couple of announcements here in the next month or two that we've been working 18 months again, calculated risk. We build out the compliance team. We got all the things we needed. A lot of my peers just jumped in assuming the FinTech was going to take care of BSA and KYC and all the federal regulatory stuff. The fintechs, one, they couldn't spell it, and they had no <laughs> idea what it was, and they weren't doing anything. And the regulators come in and say, oh, my God, you're doing all this business, and nobody's checking anything. So we fixed that, and, and we've got some really great opportunities coming up in, in that space. So I'm still doing innovative, creative things within without taking companies outside. And I think, again, I saw in your uh, kind of preview questions the statement of what was my superpower in business over the years, and mm-hmm. I think my – Superpower of the last 40 years has been finding phenomenal people mm-hmm. and hiring good people. And I tell everybody, when you find a good person, even if you don't have a home, hire them. You will have a home. And when you hire because you need a person, you're going to get a warm body. You're not mm-hmm. really going to get the fit. So get the right person at the right time. You'll find a home for them. And I think that's my success, much like we're doing at the bank today. In the SBA lending, we got out of Mortgage lending, the gentleman who ran that division for me, he's now doing a small business loan product, credit card program. So we're able to take people and shift them into new ideas and new opportunities. We go in with proven management, proven service skills, and it works for everybody. Speaking of talent, so you are, you're going as far into, I think this might be correct, you're diving into high schools. Is that right? To yeah, find interns? Yeah. yeah. And so in, instead of the old post the job opportunity and hope somebody shows up, back to finding great talent, talk about that. How are you rethinking about talent acquisition at the bank and how you find your next group of rock stars? I tell you, that was a really hard program to convince traditional bankers that you could bring in a student for a 90-day period and actually get anything of value out of them other than let them make some copies and coffee for you. So uh, <laughs> a little tougher there than it was in the tech world, but uh, we had such great success over the years in the tech business. We still did it today. In fact, most of the employees that worked for us at Ricks and Dino were folks that came in as interns and then ultimately took full-time positions with us. Last year, out of 14 interns, we have seven of them working for us now, post-graduation. We get really good students and really good people that we want to hang on. We try and find something for them to do when they go back to campus. So we're always, point of mind, they're getting a monthly or bi-weekly check from us. We keep that tie there, and they don't go talk to recruiters and mm-hmm. other people. And as I said, we, the challenges we give them, we can really get a good idea who the, the home run hitters are. And who are just good people that are going to do a great job for us. And as I, again, a discussion I had this morning, there's no such thing as a bad internship. It's kind of like me and making the decision when it really came down to why I didn't want to do the Coast Guard. And you have the internship if you like the experience. We have two or three people every year that come in and say, this really isn't what I would like to do for a living. We've had people actually come back and say, hey, could I come back and work in HR? Or could I come back and do customer service next summer? And 
see what we can do. Learn, as I said earlier, just absorb everything you can wherever you can. But the internship program, I would tell everybody, get a program together. Make your management. Make sure they're doing it right. That mm-hmm. they're not just giving the students some yeah. menial tasks to do. But in the 90 days, you can do an awful lot of things. Yep. Constantly planting seed, nurturing yep. relationships, planting seeds with businesses, nurturing those businesses. Yep. Uh, a lot of farming roots there and <laughs> lots of things we can follow up on a future episode uh, of the podcast. Um, before we wrap, uh, this is our favorite part of the show. It's the lightning round. Just two, two minutes, two minutes long, three questions, no wrong answers. Are you, are you down to do the lightning sure. round? All right, cool. Yes. Sure. Here we go. <clears throat> David, outside of the amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem, what is Indiana known for? I think students, the academics, the universities we have, we put out a tremendous product. The sad part, we export more than we retain. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good answer. And I'll say go Tigers. We have, our intern is also from DePaul. So we got three oh, DePaul awesome. guys in yeah. here. Yeah, three to yes. two. We yeah, you outnumber us. Yeah. Yes, come as long on. as there's no Wabash guys. Oh, <laughs> whoa. You can't say, that's the only word you can't say on this podcast. Um, we'll bleep it out. Yeah. David, what is one hidden gem in Indiana? I think just the overall quality of life. If you take a look at, even in central Indiana, the stuff that's around from parks to lakes to you name it, you can go 20 minutes in any direction and have a phenomenal experience with a family on a weekend. And there's parts you can't get out. You can't go two miles in LA in 20 minutes. (laughs) So I think it's just that quality of life and the, the community that's here in Indiana. Amen. And final question of the lightning round. Who is someone that we need to keep on our radar? Someone who is doing big things. I'd say our buddy, John Wexler, <laughs> Tof and I know him. That, that guy runs 900 miles an hour. He's got an idea every five minutes. His issue is he just needs to figure out what are the good ideas and which are the bad. <laughs> but I, I would tell you in, in the long haul, John's just got a spirit and an energy about him that he's going to be a, phenomenal, a phenomenally successful, successful individual. John's a good friend of the show, and we need to get him on. We need to get, get Wexler so on. This is a good uh, push we need yeah. to get him on the show. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for everything oh. that you do for Indiana, the Midwest, our country, and thanks for being on the show today. Oh, I love the guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. Amen. Thank you. This has been Get In, a Powder Kick production in partnership with Elevate Ventures, and we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for a guest or a segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top-tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powderkeg.com newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powder Keg executive community, check out powderkeg.com premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.